that's really the whole the, the idea behind it is just just raising these producers up, putting them on a plate a little, and then just let, letting people sort of find them. And it does help to have that tag to just stick on it and say. We're a city of gastronomy, so we must know what they're talking about. For the past three weeks, Dirty Linen has been travelling the world, finding out what's going on for people in every corner of the globe. It's been fantastic. But it is time to come home. It is time to focus on what's happening in Melbourne, in Victoria, in Australia, in our hospitality industry. And as we start to look at the future, which is what I want to focus on for the rest of this week, I thought, let's start by talking to somebody, a young person, someone who's involved with thinking about the future in all kinds of different ways and through a series of fortuitous events that's led me to Michael Grogan. Michael lives in Bendigo and he was dobbed in by his boss Daz Murphy at Bendigo Whole Foods. Uh, Bendigo Whole Foods is a real hub of that um, fantastic town of Bendigo. It's, um, it's a food store, it's a cafe, you can go there for cooking classes, you can buy bulk foods, you can buy plants. It's just a bit of a, uh, an earthy empire there um, in the centre of Bendigo. And what Daz said about Michael, well he said a few things but this is a little extract of what he said. Mick started as a youngling after schoolie, retail, day wrapper upper to kitchen hand, to retail floor salesperson, to helping build whole foodery and then move on to something new at the end of the year. Out of all of our team, he sees a vision and a way through and is key to faking it till we make it. So Michael, that's a pretty good intro to you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he's, um, he's always been he, uh, pretty nice to me, so he's nice. I think that's probably some of the kinder things you could have said. <laughs> So yeah, you're spot on. So Whole Foods is definitely that. Um, I, th I think we view ourselves as a bit of a hub, like you said, but it's um, become a bit of a local industry for us, and yeah, definitely like runs with that um, in in such a small area. Like many, I mean, we've got a hundred thousand people, but the CBD is not that large, and I think we are we sort of stand out as a little bit of that. Um, all those things intertwined, so it's an interesting. Um, I don't know what you'd call it. It's a bit of everything rolled into one. Yeah, it feels like the kind of place that just took over the shop next door and then the shop next door and then the shop next door. Um, and I'm not sure if that if that is what happened, but it just feels like it's a um, cascade of good ideas one after another. And it's, yeah, just it just is what it is. Although uh, since I was last in Bendigo, we've, uh, you know, rolled ourselves into a pandemic. So I'm sure things are a little bit different there now. Um but pulling back a bit from Whole Foods, Michael, do you want to just clue us in a bit more to yourself? Like, tell us, like, how old are you? What are you studying? Um, and, yeah, tell us what interests you about what you're learning. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm 23. I'm at the Latrobe Benigo campus studying um, urban rural environmental planning. Um, and, yeah, I've been working at Whole Foods for about seven years and it's really those two parts of are the main parts of my life and they're both now really intersecting around the food and food systems, food networks, food provenance. And, and so it's been, especially with the pandemic we've had and those conversations coming back up to light, it's been a really interesting time to sort of see where these things really intersect and, and um, yeah, how we can move forward in, like in the planning world and then also just at the grassroots sort of food and, you know, food sovereignty. So, yeah, I'm in my third year, so I'll have one more year after this, but... Uh, yeah, just really trying to get involved and um, it helps being so interested in, in food and where that food comes from. Yeah, well, I had a look at the course and it actually sounds so interesting. Some of the subjects for third year are planning for creative cities and regions, 
regional economic development, Asia-Pacific cities, uh, principles of environmental and resource economics. Like it sounds super juicy and it also sounds like you'd be seeing ways to test and apply a lot of the things that you learn in the ac academic sphere in, in the real world, especially in a, such a food city as Bendigo. Uh, can, can you talk about some of the things that you're learning and, uh, yeah, what way you think they might be applied? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, the, the course itself does look at um, – it is a really whirlwind of international and local and, and, and national sort of examples of cities and regions and, um, you know, what they do to create economic development and, and how we can um, build upon it. But, yeah, as, as far as the conversation around food networks and how it sort of comes back around now is it's sort of um, – the timing was almost perfect because it was really – this course – has had a bit of a shake-up of recent times. And I guess because we were already experiencing in Australia, especially with bushfires and um, drought and things like that, how we can look to, uh, from the planning um, sector, you know, actually look at securing um, our, like, food networks and um, water security and things like that. So the, the language that's coming out um, through a lot of the planning subjects is looking at, all right, well, what is the system we have in Australia and is it working? And... Obviously, it's we have you know like quite a large supermarket duopoly, and a lot of our um, you know a lot of the farms are owned by the same you know large companies and things like that, and it's and, and we're sort of really relying on uh, you know global imports, and, and we don't, we don't have that like strong national food security like we once had. So it's definitely now come with the pandemic that that conversations come back up, come back up, and yeah, it's now how do we actually look at regional areas that are sort of you know losing its um, population, people migrating to the city, all that sort of stuff. How do we actually look at these large regional areas that were once flourishing, big agricultural development, and how do we, you know, get back in there and and facilitate that from the planning level to ensure that we can actually, you know, have this food sovereignty for the future. And um, and then and I guess like linked onto that, it's also uh, especially in Bendigo, um, we've taken that, but then also we're using, you know, the, as we've got the city of gastronomy last year. We're sort of taking that foodie angle as well. So there's there's the bare bones essentials of having like yeah this food sovereignty and and that, but then also have a bit of fun with it and and, and actually celebrate all the incredible produce because there is some incredible produce coming out of Central Victoria. And so yeah, it's sort of sure of both of that. Um, well, let's come back to the city of gastronomy, but before we talk about that can you just dig a little bit more into food sovereignty and just explain to people who might not have heard those words before what food sovereignty means yeah I, I guess there's a lot of um i guess you, you call them buzzwords or, or such but there's a lot of that flying around but essentially it's just how we think i guess if you a lot of people in australia would think that the food um if you talk to them about food a lot of people aren't really that interested it's just something that you know is, is just a part of life that they kind of they, you sort of can't avoid it and they think you get, you know, you might go to the supermarket, or what? They don't really think about what what it means past that, and 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 how that the whole system actually, the whole network might actually work. And so, if we're looking at it from, I guess, a sustainable point of view, we're super reliant now on these on this globalized food network, and you know how much of the food we're getting in supermarkets and stuff is imported. And I know there's there's this lot of advertising, and and they like to show all these, you know, how much they're backing Australian farmers, but the reality is that that's not really the case and there's a lot of we're sort of over reliant at the moment on globalized food networks and you know there's 
I guess, agriculture across the world. I think it's like 30% of our greenhouse gases and things like that. It's just the amount of stuff they have to move. And, and now we're actually seeing that with the pandemic, all of the food systems and, and food imports have just been, you know, sort of grinding to a halt. I mean, I know aviation import for food has gone up like 300%. There's huge supply chain disruptions because of that. And once you start to see, you know, the food sovereignty is we might actually not have, um, it might not hit us yet, but the conversation needs to come up of what happens if there isn't um, a clear direction of where we're going to get our food and, and for our population. So I guess we just need to secure a sustainable method of getting food nationally to people all over Australia. Yeah. Well, I think it, it was people probably, a lot of people would have thought about food supply chains for the first time when they saw bare supermarket shelves in March. It's just something that people are not used to and not yet, as you say, not really used to thinking about foods, just something you get at the shops. Um, one of the things that really struck me uh, when learning more about, about the fragility of our supply chains was things like that perhaps the food would, would be produced here, but the jar would come from somewhere, the jar would come from China and the label would be printed in India or, you know, something like there's just a, so many different components. So you might have the food, but you don't have the, the packaging or you might, yeah. So there's just, there's just things are just um, gathered from so many disparate places and disparate sources that once part of that system breaks down, it shows how fragile all of it is or how susceptible it is to disruption. So is, so it seems to me like local economies and getting food from closer, as close as you can, is a big part of food sovereignty. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think it's like the, when you talk about um, like food networks and stuff, it's about, um, you know, the, I guess, I think the actual definition stems from about like reducing, like closing the proximity between the producer and consumer. So that's not only benefiting, you know, both, both parties, but it's also you're sort of mitigating the amount of travel distance and possible disruptions that could have. But I guess, yeah, good point about the, the bare supermarket shelves. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I can only talk about what it was like from a regional point of view because we did have that as well. But it was that also comes back around to the, the dangers of how much we rely on this, um, you know, duopoly of supermarkets because it's sort of um, with this pandemic. I know if you have like a COVID case in a warehouse, you no know, Coles have uh, one or one warehouse and to you know get to all of Victoria, and I think Woolworths might have two. Um, those like just one disruption in a business means that there's empty shelves for the lot of us, and I think that's why we. Another a big reason why we need to look at diversifying where our food comes from, whether it's um, you know smaller green grocers like Whole Foods, or if it's um, actually wholesale farms and and things like that. Like there's a great, there's a fantastic new um, farm out in Huntley, which is just a, a surrounding suburb of Bendigo, Huntley Organics, and they've started doing, um, you know, you can order and they sort of harvest to order your food, and you can just go out there and pick it up. And that's I think that's been something of people I've spoken to in Bendigo that's they've been relying on that through this pandemic whether they don't want to go to the supermarket and such but it really that, that connection between grower and consumer um, like those those relationships are sort of fostering because of this and I think people are starting to realize that there is actually an alternative to actually relying on these what we just think is always just a constant Mm. But what about scale? I think one of the counter arguments to all of all of these sort of, you know, go direct models is that, well, that's fine for, you know, the elite that can go to farmers markets with their string bags. But what about, you know, the rest of us that really just have to go to the supermarket because we need to just pick stuff up after a busy day at work and we don't 
have time to go here for our organic chicken and there for our just picked kale. Is Do you feel like these kinds of um, systems are able to be scaled? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think the because that's very much the reality of it, isn't it, is that there's it's not quite accessible yet. It's not it's not an accessible model for the majority of, of people in this country. But I think the way that it could perhaps get to that level is coming to the other side of this pandemic, whether there will be a shift up in the way we address this as, as a nation and, and whether we tend to go down this track. Because I think local and alternative food systems, they've you know historically had this perception of perhaps being a fashion or a fad or, you know, like you said, for people who can go and do that, and it's sort of a luxury and they're not quite challenging that mainstream yet. But if this is the disruption that is required maybe, you know, for these things to take place and these changes to happen, then it's probably our best chance, if any, to have this real halt and this mass realisation that this is this is to occur. So it would be interesting to see if it does actually become more accessible as a, if there's more, you know, of these small-scale um, enterprises starting up. I'm not, I'm not sure, but, yeah, if there was a time for it to happen. Yeah, I'd say if there's a time for any disruption and rethinking and starting again to happen, this is it. Um, so... Yeah, I think there is definitely a lot of rethinking going on. I think decentralisation is uh, would make something, yeah, would make local food economies much more sustainable and realistic. And I think we are seeing some people deciding through the pandemic that perhaps they can get out of the city, that the structure of their work might change and they can um, do the tree change. Do you, do you think, is that something that Bendigo is talking about? Yeah, definitely. So we've, we are experiencing, um, even, you know, pre-pandemic, we're experiencing people moving um, from the city into the country and, and that that's sort of changing, I guess, nothing but the culture of Bendigo because you're having these people who have moved from metropolitan areas and they know what they, they're, they're used to and therefore the culture sort of changes. But um, whether or not we'll sort of move to that, I'm not. I'm not quite sure, but I know that there's definitely the conversation happening at the council level um, of trying to diversify that, at least for us, um, like our food networks, because like the Bendigo Council has addressed um, sort of what our national issues are with food systems, and then how that affects us at a local level. And they've identified that you know there's there is you know this conversation around food like. Sovereignty is probably going to be challenged soon, and there's, they've noticed that at a regional level, there's been a displacement of of these local like retailers. So, um, yeah, there, there has been conversations about how we can make sure that these you know small scale retailers aren't displaced, and how we can encourage um, more and more to be actually starting up into business, and then so we can have, I guess, some sort of small scale diversification here. Yeah, well, that's, that sounds great. And I guess well, you mentioned that Bendigo was named a UNESCO City of Gastronomy last year, which is, I remember that news coming out, I think it was October. It's just seemed so exciting. Like I, I've, I've, I've got a, a mate who moved from Melbourne to Bendigo and um, been up for various reasons over the last few years. And it is a really, really cool town. So um, you know, you can get fantastic coffee. There's great bakers. There's you guys doing all the good produce. Uh, there's really good restaurants. Um, so Masons of Bendigo is a place that I love to eat. Woodhouse, like there's really good, really good restaurants, and it's so easy to get to Bendigo on the train from Melbourne. 
Um, but yeah, it was just so exciting to think that Bendigo had been internationally recognised for its gastronomy. Uh, what what did that mean to you, and and what do you think it might mean for Bendigo in terms of marketing the city and um, yeah, for really forging that food story? Yeah, it was. It obviously came as a a huge surprise, and everyone that was sort of um, you know in in the food industry in in Bendigo was super excited by it, and I think the council as well. They were um, you know there was a, I think there was a board put together of some of the who's who in the zoo for food. Um, I think Sonia from Masons was had a bit to do with it. She, she's always been involved at the uh, sort of tourism level um, for the Bendigo brand that they like to say. So there's this sort of Bendigo food brand, and it's that's, that goes back a few years. Like even with um, Daz from Whole Foods, even started the food fo- like helped start up the food fossica movement. And there's that sort of uh, was the inception of the Bendigo brand, the Bendigo food brand, and th- th- that sort of comes up through regional development documents and things you see Bendigo talk about how do you market the region as a brand and um, they sort of backpack on um, uh, piggyback on like the whole sort of food as tourism and all the local suppliers Um, so going forward we will definitely see Bendigo using the you know the gastronomy tag city of gastronomy to get people uh, you know even from Melbourne to come and do sort of regional tourism and I think now that we won't be going overseas anymore for quite some time, the emphasis on on local tourism across Australia is going to be enormous. So I think it's come at a pretty pretty good time for us because we'll be able to you know look at instead of going wherever you might have planned, you might look to have a day trip or a weekend here in Bendigo and you know have a look at some of our great food and the suppliers from around. So yeah, it's definitely going to bolster the already. Um, what we were already holding on to beforehand, but it's definitely going to yeah, improve that. Mm. I mean, it's interesting because it's like you don't create the food ways or, you know, those producers don't start because it's going to attract tourists, but it, it ends up attracting tourists. It's, a, it's an interesting sort of nexus and circularity where the, I guess the, the farmers aren't there because farming something really, you know, cre- making great, growing great pigs is going to bring tourists but then it ends up being something that can feed through to be that you know an additional uh selling point for the region Mm, yeah it's definitely a yeah like a collaborative effort um and yeah i don't think the individual producers yeah would be thinking about that at all but it's um these sort of these things are really pushed through by whatever the overarching council is and how they want to take it and how they want to try and use it to benefit the the area because there are these sort of underground um, you know, the local suppliers, they all sort of look out for each other and th- that, that they sort of, you know, have this symbiotic relationship already and they this is just something on top that's just going to, I guess, like push along our um, local regional development just on the back of that. And the other thing is that we might get that tag of UNESCO City of Gastronomy, but it is, it's also, like we're lucky to be central Victorian because we, you know, have... The, the access to all these sort of producers all, all around so we're not sort of just shuttled in we've got such great range and so really we're sort of piggybacking on the success of producers that are succeeding all over Victoria and um, yeah we're just we're just sort of putting it on a plate and and like putting it out there to the public so yeah it is definitely this huge collaborative Victorian effort but it's something that links in with um, you know the you know, click for Vic stuff online or the Victoria Marketplace or, you know, shop for local, all that sort of stuff. And that's a lot of the branding that goes on in um, especially Whole Foods and stuff is just to 
not so much push it so much that it's all people see, but just to let people know that they want to explore the taste of the region, the flavors, the producers, definitely the stories of producers in Victoria, then that's that's really the whole the, the idea behind it is just just raising these producers up, putting them on a plate a little, and then just let, letting people sort of find them. And it does help to have that tag to just stick on it and say, we're a city of gastronomy, so we must know what we're talking about. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it also, when when producers see that attention being showered on the farmer next door or that, you know, their so, so a particular bit of produce is being um, f- uh, on a plate at a hatted restaurant just down the road, then perhaps it does inspire people to, I don't know, whatever it might be, like try a new, um, a new line of produce or to go organic or to, you know, just to find that point of difference. And I suppose it just, it reinforces that uh, that there's going to be support for people who are trying new things and and innovating and uh, yeah just not being a, a run of the mill producer that's producing commodity crops. Yeah, definitely, and I think it it, it does sort of link back um, to what we were saying about how um, I mean I, I, I guess for Benigo, um we do have I mean the new just on last like last, just last Wednesday our regional development plan went live and and in that you can see that. They're, they're putting great emphasis on how we, you know, they're putting together this um, this regional seed fund so they can actually support local and regional startups and new businesses and things like that. And it and it does sort of link back around because yeah, you do have all these all these success stories and and this quite strong brand that hopefully will entice people to come and and start um, things that will sort of, I guess, bolster this mission and this movement to diversify food networks. If if you just have um, more of these producers entering the market, or or more stores that are celebrating these producers and, and getting the getting the news out there and and really sort of shaking things up at just a at a grassroots level, just regional for Benigo, Then yeah, hopefully then we can see this like regional economic development plan actually work and and start to shape the Benigo that they want to see in the future. And then yeah, let's see what it has on on the state level. But yeah, I'm not too sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's talk a bit about what you do at Whole Foods. And um, Daz, your boss, said that you had the vision. You can see a way through this. So tell us about that. Like, how did the pandemic affect Bendigo Whole Foods and uh, what have you done over the past few months? Yeah, I think he's been generous there. But, yeah, definitely <laughs> it's, been it's been a very interesting um, thing to be a part of. We, were, we haven't closed um, through all, all of this, so... Um, the the team there. There's a, there's about 15 of us now, and we've yeah seen all the changes week by week in consumer behaviour, and and you know we've seen we've seen our locals be a bit you know worried, and how you sort of address like how do you you know facilitate them still getting in, and we're do, we're like doing the click and collect and online and those sort of things. But yeah, the pandemic. Um, I imagine the whole the story at Whole Foods is very similar to all, you know the. Um, the industry as a whole. I mean, our cafe had to close sadly, and that's been closed since about March. And the shops just been plodding along, trying to compete with, um, you know, the the rush that Coles was getting just across the road. And we had um, not so much the panic buying that the supermarkets would have experienced, but definitely our bulk foods and all that took a hit initially, and that was a bit, you know, worrying, and everyone was a bit on edge about that. But then over time, we, I guess. The whole attitude of the shop was quite chilled out towards sort of the middle of the quarantine because people started to come in and have these conversations 
uh, with us and with each other about the little projects they've got going at home. And you know, we've got a thriving nursery that was that's just been doing amazing this year because people are coming in and starting their own gardens and getting into like getting into this for the first time and like bread making and preserving, pickling, um, just trying all these new things for the first time. So the culture, yeah, it started off a bit rocky, but it's actually come quite a nice like. Um, I think it's really humbled everyone and just just chatting to people that come in each week and hearing what they're getting up to and I think everything's slowing down in their life and then so they're actually having time to actually, you know, get involved in these sort of things that they thought might have been a bit far-fetched for them to get involved, you know, like making sourdough and that sort of stuff. So it's been really cool seeing, like, hearing people's stories and, yeah. It's become a bit of a joke at this point, I think, like, like the sourdough thing, but yeah, it's, it's very much, it's been very real, I think. We've, we've we've sold more flour this year than I think we've sold in the seven years I've been there. So <laughs> that's amazing. And um, what's the cooking that you do there at the moment if the cafe is closed? Yeah, so we've um, we're looking at this this idea of the Bendigo Whole Foodery, where um, and we've we've got a few lines up and running at the moment, but we've been uh, utilizing the kitchen space to be doing these pickling and preserving and just jarring up all these awesome stuff that we're making. So. Um, that's been that's been a blast to sort of learn. So we started off the first few weeks just doing um, like intensive learning amongst us all, just how we're going to do this, what are the right methods, and we've been taking inspiration from other businesses around Australia. But yeah, we're just trying to figure out, you know, how do we take these regional, you know, ingredients and like we're talking about before, celebrating the producers and then putting them in putting them, jarring them up, making awesome stuff and then getting that out to the to the customers. So we've done a lot, you know, we've done some like pickled turnips, carrots, um, piccalillis, kasundis, that sort of thing. And um, the focus and um, the focus is on, you know, u- using all this regional produce, so vinegars, oils, salts. Um, so I guess it's this ultimate sort of uh, celebrating local produce while also getting this like yum pickled preserved stuff out to the customer and then they can try and make it themselves and it all sort of wraps up in itself so it's been a really cool project for us to work on and i'm pretty excited to see how it's going to go in the next few months but it's definitely off to a good start oh it sounds really fantastic so michael you've got another year after this year of your course is that right yeah so one more year so next year will be um sort of my main thesis and then finish up and i'll probably as you could have guessed be doing something on food systems and networks which is by this opportunity has been all the all the greater, but yeah, it's um one more year, and then I'll still definitely be uh, as involved as I can with um, the foodie side of Bendigo. But hopefully, I can yeah get into something that I can actually make a real change in. As much as I love working at Whole Foods, do you know what your thesis is going to be on yet, or do you have a, do you have an idea of the direction? No, not yet. But I'm hoping to draw on these experiences because it's been definitely a once in a lifetime sort of journey that we're all in. So. Um, yeah, any ideas? I'm happy to hear them. But yeah, it'll be definitely something. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, food system related. Okay, well, if the listeners have any suggestions for Michael's thesis, we'll be very happy to pass those on. Anything that we need researched, you, you can just look after it for us. Um, what about, Michael, just um, just finishing off with a question about Melbourne. Like there's five million of us here. We, um, we aren't as close to produce as you are. But do you have any sense of the future for a big city like Melbourne uh, is, and what 
how we might come out of the pandemic. You know, it's a big question, so don't feel obliged to wrap it all up in a neat bow. But what do you think about massive cities like Melbourne? Yeah, it's it's pretty daunting. I I, I think it's hard for it's really hard to get a scope and measure on on just how you like logistically it's a nightmare, isn't it, that we even can survive in these sort of large and like Melbourne in the grand scheme of things isn't even that significant of a um of a capital um for the state. So when you look at these other, you know, cities across the world it's 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 yeah, it's really hard to wrap your head around. But um I'm not sure I guess there's I don't sure anyone's got the answer um that could be really applied, but there's I guess from an extremely grassroots level getting people that have the space, the luxury space in Melbourne, I know it's hard to come by, but um, utilising that space to just try and grow as much food for yourself as you can. But I guess in urban urban areas, the a huge answer is community gardens, which I know you guys have some awesome ones down there, but really getting involved in that sort of stuff is, um, I think, even just a short-term answer while we're trying to avoid supermarkets and stay home and you know get produce where we can. I guess it's a short-term answer, but... Um, yeah, it's it's the tackling that issue in the future is going to be well, it's going to be one of the biggest things we're going to have to address. I think in the future is in in across the globe is how we, how we're we going to feed all these people. I mean, we've got like unbelievable population growth and and urban migration. I mean, there's so many people just leaving regional areas and moving into the city. It's solving the food the food problem as well as the housing issue. I'm not I'm not quite sure how we're going to do it, but I guess you've got to start somewhere and growing what you can and making what you can yourself is a, is a good start. Well, I think even if it doesn't end up being a large percentage of your weekly food needs, it definitely gives you a sense of, it de- definitely gets you to appreciate produce. I think even growing a little pot of herbs and, you know, <laughs> failing um, and then trying again and then failing and trying again definitely shows you how hard it is to grow food and how much we should be valuing it. I think it... Um, yeah, any stab at gardening, and I'm hopeless. It just—I think it helps you reduce it. It helps you reduce food waste in your own kitchen because you just know um, that you need to celebrate every little green shoot. Yeah, for sure. It's it's really interesting. There's um there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, like if you look, if you go back to sort of the late 20th century urbanization, there's this that's sort of where the whole back to the land movement sort of kicked off, was because especially in the US there was there's this sort of challenge of how you get um, these big cities and like food supply through and that was sort of like 70s 80s but then even before that um, you see like the victory gardens during the interwar period in the US and things and that sort of national food identity through food and the propaganda around growing your own food and um, there's some great old posters you can look at when you search victory gardens and like food for ammunition and how the patriot preserves and pickles and I think it's yeah it's definitely human nature when you go through these um, big defining global events sort of like a pandemic we um, we're always going to have to look back at where we sort of get these things that we take for granted and yeah I think growing our own food and storing it how you can and preserving it how you can will be um, something that will just become a part of life now and hopefully people just carry on doing that because it definitely would help out if you've got like you said five million people in Melbourne if you can imagine if even just yeah just a small portion of your weekly intake was cultivated yourself it would be make quite a difference yeah definitely um well Michael 
thank you so much for having a chat to us today. It's really great to get your perspective, both from the academic side and from the Kusundi side. They're in the kitchen jarring up local produce. I uh, wish you all the best with, um, yeah, the foodery and also with your studies. And, uh, yeah, when you've worked out how to solve the crisis of what, what we're going to do in Melbourne or, yeah, to help us get through, then uh, we'll look forward to that. And stand by. We'll send you some ideas for your thesis next year. But thanks so much. Thanks for having me on for a chat. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.